This is My Playbook. I'm Simon Mundy, and in this podcast, created by Greenhouse Sports, we'll be hearing from a host of inspiring people about who and what inspired, supported, and encouraged them during difficult moments. We'll find out what they've learned along the way, as well as what they want to share and pass on. Greenhouse Sports is the charity that uses sport to help disadvantage young people and communities. Their core belief is that every child deserves opportunities and a fair chance to get on in life. And through Greenhouse's coaches and partners, they look to make that a reality. The work they do is about encouraging young people through sport and teaching them the life skills they need. 2022 is Greenhouse's 20th anniversary. And over the last 20 years, the charity has helped more than 50,000 children in London, but there are a further 4 million children across the UK right now that they would like to help. And if you'd like to find out more about their work and how you could help support another generation of young people, please head to greenhousesports.org to find out more. In the meantime, to this episode in which I speak to Greenhouse's volleyball head coach, Lalama Musti de Gennaro. For 20 years, Lalama played volleyball at the highest level, earning 13 caps for Italy while winning the Italian Cup and playing in the Champions League. She was the first woman of colour to represent the Italian national team and experienced the best and worst of coaching during her own playing career. That was when I realised that something happened when I was a teenager because when I saw him, I just panicked, frozen. Now she's the one mentoring and coaching others and her top priority is in helping them develop as people first and as sports performers second. It was a pleasure chatting to Lalama and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, my name is Lulama. I am a former professional volleyball player and right now I am head volleyball coach for Greenhouse. It's uh, the greatest opportunity that I ever had. It allows to pass the testimony, just not only with my volleyball skills, but everything that volleyball taught me. Resilience, how to build confidence, friendships, everything. What do you consider to be the more important side? The volleyball, the skills, or developing the person? Definitely developing the person. Everything goes around that. Remembering back to your professional playing career, would you have imagined that you would be doing this? Not at all. (laughs) No, I honestly said when I retired, I would never be a coach. Life is unpredictable. You might be like working for that without knowing that you're working for that purpose. So let's go back then to life in Italy and you as a young volleyball player. How did you discover the sport? That was a substitute PE teacher who was a volleyball player. And uh, she just like introduced us, all of us, to volleyball. She saw me and she said like, oh, you have like really potential here. So why don't you give it a try and come to the club? Volleyball just took the lead. And then I met this amazing first real volleyball coach whose name is Luca and uh, is the one who took me from a really tiny village in the countryside to Rome and to start learning what was real volleyball, what it meant to be a volleyball player and everything else. Your father is Italian, but your mother is from Mozambique and you're the eldest sibling, aren't you? 
I am. Um, so we are just two sisters coming from, yes, um, a family that is half African. You've got some uh, untold and unsaid rules <laughs> to respect. And uh, one of these is that as the oldest, I am in charge of leading the way for my younger sister. I was responsible for her growth. I was responsible for her health in a way as well. My mom used to study and work. So I was the one in charge of getting her ready for bedtime and uh, preparing her meal if, if she wasn't there. When then Luca came on the scene and recognised that you had the potential to go on and become an international volleyball player, that meant that you would have to leave home. How hard was that for you? How hard was that for your sister? And how hard was it to persuade your parents that that was the right decision? For me, it wasn't that hard. I was uh, 13 years old. It was what I wanted to do. And uh, at 13, you think that you can do everything. There's no, no barriers, nothing. My mom, especially, she wasn't that happy, I would say. But they let me go. My sister was the one who suffered the most because we were very close to each other and my sister was uh, 10 and a half. So it was hard for her to lose her big sister. It was heartbreaking. Just explain the impact that Luca had on you as a young teenage girl, growing, developing, finding a sense of self. It actually meant everything. Starting from... Uh, being the first person who believed that I had potential, giving me the tools to work with that potential, to start like building up confidence and building up some skills. At the same time, he gave me the chance to figure out myself how to be in the adult's world, being alone, living in Rome, and I was just a teen. I had to go to school by myself, cook for myself, do everything for myself. Especially when a couple of years later, my parents split up. He became the person that I would just look for good example or like for advice or for literally um, a roof to stay. Whenever I had like any type of uh, big argument with my mom, I would just like call him and say, hey, look, can I just crash on your, on your sofa? And he would just like let me in. Our age gap wasn't that big to consider him a parent. It was more like an older brother. I still consider him like an older brother. I will tell him if he does something wrong and I don't like it. And he would do the same. <laughs> do you try and be like he was to you, to some of the kids you now work with? In a sense, yes. He made me realize that volleyball is not just a ball. There's all the mentoring part, all the teaching part about like life. Well, that's true of all sport, isn't it? Sport is, it's a metaphor for life, but also there's so much more than just uh, the ball, the racket, the boots, whatever it may be. There's so much more to sport and obviously Greenhouse harnesses that. Now let's compare. You had some pretty horrendous experiences with other coaches. Uh, yes, horrible coaches. Um, so there was the um, 
junior national coach, so the one that was running the under-15 Italian team, way different from Luca. His approach was very strict. For example, he would have this vision about uh, his athletes, so a certain weight. In my case, I was uh, 1.80 centimeters tall, and my weight, for his knowledge, was supposed to be 60 kilograms. That's crazy. It is crazy, especially when you think about like a 14-year-old girl that is growing up and it's building up lots of muscles because it was the first time that we would just like go to the fitness room and lift up lots of weights. 13 out to 18 players started having eating disorders from bulimia to anorexia, uh, mental health issues, of course. And you were like segregated. So we had like this um, thing about like meals that we had like three different tables. And one was with a card with a note, fat table, normal table and uh, build table. So the fat table was for those that he considered fat. I was on that table and uh, we had to go for long runs before breakfast have uh, just a cup of tea, no sugar, two slices of uh, bread with no butter and no jam because there's sugar in the jam, and then go for three hours session. Then go back, have lunch with no pasta, no carbs at all, only um, a breast chicken, no salt because salt uh, retains water. Just salad, but no dressing, so no oil, nothing, because oil is fat. So you are already fat. You cannot eat all of this. So no fruit, because fruit is sugar. So that's it. And then go for other three hours, high training, of course, because we're talking about national teams. So we were the elite of the elite, and we had to bring back to our nation medals, hopefully gold medals. And then there was, of course, the whole um, psychological impact because he would just um, go very hard to use really heavy words, like sexualized words. He would use our mothers as examples of uh, positions and stuff. So, um, yeah, very... (laughs) It was an abusive environment. It was an abusive environment, yeah. And how long were you in that environment for? Two summers and uh, some other um, months during the year where we, when we had like some international competitions. Gosh. Was he never picked up on his behavior? Oh, no, he wasn't. It was all accepted because he used to bring lots of medals. So the Federation was closing two eyes and ears. And there was this concept that we couldn't really complain about it. I think that now that I'm older and I know a lot more about abusive environment, I think that it's kind of normal not to speak, especially to people that are closer to you. So I think that none of us talked or like said anything specific to our parents. We never said exactly what was going on. The thing was 
that everyone was on board. So it's also the assistant coach, the assistant of the assistant coach, uh, the doctor, the physiotherapist, the filmmaker, so the one that has to take all the data and work for it. Like everyone on the crew was there. The staff was there, was about like 10 people there. And it would hear and see exactly what he was doing. And nobody said anything. So I never thought about myself being in an abusive situation. But when years later, when I was 29 years old, and I was in uh, one of the top clubs, Serie A clubs playing, our coach was fired at mid-season and uh, this other coach came in and uh, it was my national team assistant coach. And it was the one who would smile at you in the morning and then take you to the field and let you run for one hour and just sit down and look at you with a nice smile. That was when I realized that something happened when I was a teenager, because when I saw him and he called me by the same nickname that they used to call me when I was there in the national team, I just panicked, frozen. And uh, from that moment on, I wasn't able to enjoy the training sessions anymore. And I started having like this weird headache every single time that I had to pop in the car and go for, for a session. So stress-related, obviously. Stress-related and um, was escalated by the fact that he wouldn't let me play. I went from being um, on the starting six formation to go to the bench and uh, didn't have really any chance to gain my spot back. So I quit. I left volleyball um, and I left the country actually because I went for a long, long trip to Australia for the next seven months. Wow. You did represent Italy many times. You were the first woman of colour to represent Italy. Also, there was some politics in terms of North and South. Can you just give me a very quick overview of what it was like representing your country as the first woman of colour to do so. And then also this politics of North v South. When the anthem comes out, I still have uh, goosebumps. I have tears coming down my eyes for the emotion. It's the biggest achievement that any athlete can ever achieve, represent their own country. So it's the biggest thing that I ever done. Um, I am mixed race, so it became a big thing in the sense that when I got the call, uh, lots of uh, articles came out and everything. Politics, unfortunately, kicked in when it was about keep staying in the national team. The federation is in Rome, but the economical center of volleyball is in Milan. Most of the coaches are from the north. And there's this fight going on since ever from North and South. So when the head coach asked me where, what was next for me, and I told him that I was absolutely committed with my club, Rome, 
to get the team back in Serie A and get the city back in the spotlight, he was like, okay, so I'm sorry, I cannot take you because you're staying where you are. So you're not going to the top teams that were all from North Italy. Wow. Yeah. So bye-bye. Bye-bye dreams of London 2012. Blimey. Goodness me. But you did represent Italy. As you say, it's the greatest achievement a sports person can manage during their career. And so let's fast forward then. How did you find your way to London and to Greenhouse Sports? Lucas kicked in again, who was already the head coach for this big, big youth club in Rome. So when I went back from Australia to Rome, he was like, why don't you come practice a little bit of volleyball again? There are the kids that really would enjoy having a, a former professional player. They will learn a lot. So it would be great for them to have you. It was a B1, so two levels down from where I stopped. Let's say football-wise, it was if I was playing for the Premier League and I went back to League One. Working with those kids actually made me realize that I still loved volleyball. It gave me the chance to consider other contracts year after. I signed a contract for a team, the League below that wanted to play the championship that year. We smashed the records of uh, consecutive winnings. I smashed my personal records. I was the best uh, middle blocker of the season. You know, it was a great achievement for me going back to the top series. The same summer, I got married. My husband later that year got an offer for a job in London. It was time for me to decide what I wanted to do next, where I wanted to go next, and London seemed to be the right choice. It's the city that, uh, for the first time, didn't make me feel like I was different. Nobody looks at me when I walk in London just because of the color of my skin. So I was, uh, wow! Was that something you noticed in Italy a lot? Oh, yes, absolutely. It's something that always, always, always follows me still now, today. Slowly getting there, but the sense of feeling that I don't have a home, in a sense, is still there. But I came to London and, woo, vanished. Here is something to empower. It's an amazing thing. So... From there, how did you get the job at Greenhouse Sports? From there, I met someone else whose name is Luca, but it sounds like Luca. So, you know, <laughs> Coach Luca was um, a coach for Greenhouse, and we were working together for a volleyball club here in London. And she was like, I work for this charity. I'm looking for someone to come and volunteer with me. And I was like, okay, yeah, let's try. And was it immediately a feeling of this is right? The volunteering part, yes. When she said that she was leaving and the position was available as a head coach, I was like, 
No way! You are so amazing with the kids. Everyone loves you at Greenhouse. I'm not sure that I can actually walk on your shoes. She said, like, you don't have to walk on my shoes. You actually have to be yourself and create your own space. And it's exactly what happened and what is happening right now. And that's something you try and really impart to the kids you work with. What I try to do the most is pass to the girls that they have to embrace themselves. How I run the program is mostly with the help of the kids. They are the ones who are leading the the session, of course, like following my instructions, but they are the ones who are talking to the other kids. They've got like small groups and they start working with these small groups trying to get them to trust them. And uh, the improvement that I saw, it's amazing. It's immense. And it was so quick, the confidence that these girls are showing. Some of the kids at the beginning, they were like, oh, no, miss, we can't do that. I'm not good at it. And I was like, no, you don't have to be good at volleyball. You have to be just who you are and just show the kids who you are and the passion that you've got for volleyball. That's the only thing that I'm asking for. And your confidence, you will see, it will become bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger day by day. I love that. That's a great message. Tell me the story then of some of the girls you work with, you mentor, you coach, and what perhaps people are missing and and the good points and the points that still need to be addressed. I've got a group that is considered really difficult, especially some of the girls are getting the most, the biggest attention, let's say, not in a positive way. So during a lunchtime, I had one of the supervisors coming to me, the lady saying that a group of girls didn't show their pass and just walk away. And they were rude. One of the girls perhaps sweared back. This girl that was addressed and was accused to swear, she got angry. She got very angry and upset because she thought that it was unjust, it was unfair. Promising that she never sweared, she wasn't uh, rude at all. So we dealt with this situation. The lady left. I got the group of girls all together and we had this big chat. I asked, okay, girls, what's going on? And they were like, miss, we are always the ones who are picked up. There are 10 girls and three of them are black. Those are the ones who were saying, since you're seven, we are always the ones who are picked up. And eventually the lady actually knew just the name of these three black girls in a group of 10. So... I felt that it was the right time, if there is any right time for this type of conversation, to talk to the girls and to explain to them that, unfortunately, there's um, something that we don't talk too much, and it's uh, unconscious bias. So why some people are more under the radar and others are not. I had to have this talk to tell them, unfortunately, this is the reality. You are black. Even just by looking to a group, 
you are the ones who just like come out like a black dot in a white page. And you are the ones who are going to be picked and remembered for being naughty if you just like raise your voice because you're a little bit louder than others. You're the ones who are going to be just remembered. Your name will be remembered just because you are the ones who are there and you are black. It's unfair, but it's how it is. So there are two choices. Either you embrace your own personality and you start understanding how you can deal with that without going on the wrong side of the story. So becoming what they already see on you or keep doing what you're doing and uh, stay the troublemakers. As I said, it was a really difficult conversation, not just for them, but for me, it was the hardest conversation I ever had to have with young people, telling them that the world is unfair and uh, that they will be judged for their skin color. From my point of view, of course, it has to be done towards black and brown kids. And it has to be done towards white people and white kids. I do feel like there's uh, a lot of politically correct talks, but sometimes we have to be a little bit more direct and straight, I think. I had a talk with the head of department about it, and I was like, okay, what's the school doing about unconscious bias? Because... 90% of our kids are Black Asian, 8% Black African or Caribbean, the other is white. So we have to give the chance, a fair chance to everyone. And I think that the school has to start having this conversation at first within the staff members and then towards the girls. For example, when I asked the girls, what are you talking about during like Black History Month? And they were like, oh, about like Black people being enslaved and uh, taken to the Americans. And I was like, what do you know about like your history? We are living in the UK. What happened to your parents or grandparents or grand-grandparents that came to the country for the first time? And they were like, no, miss that it wasn't something that was about them as well. But it is about them. It is about me. It is about like all of us. It is about my son, my husband. And uh, during the Black Life Matters movement, when it restarted, there were a lot of people talking and saying, oh, we need to put down the statues of people who were like buying and selling slaves around the world. I disagree with that. If you take the memory away, they will just keep doing the same in different ways, but they will still do the same things. We cannot not talk about it because it's the only way that we teach each other to accept who we are. I remember when we spoke last time and you spoke about the importance, obviously, of people understanding unconscious bias, white people understanding privilege, but also the black girls, for example, understanding that... That can't be used as an excuse. That's it. We have to educate ourselves, but both sides. For example, whenever I go to Mozambique, I hear 
my cousins, I hear my aunties, people that are very well educated, talk and behave like everything has to be done by the white people because they took us from Africa as slaves. The time is over. We cannot use that as an excuse not to put ourselves in the game and behave as best as we can. It's a really difficult conversation to have both sides. And I feel like because I am the river between black and white, I feel to do this conversation. I think that that's where I go back to my way of delivering my coaching style about like saying to the girls, you have to embrace yourselves. You have all the opportunities in the world if you want to get them. And that's where I think sport can teach you a lot. Life uh, can be amazing or can be very difficult. You can now have like the uh, horrible coach that may just like leave you very deep marks on your soul and on your body. And you can still come out of it stronger than ever. That opportunity you now have to give something of yourself, how much does that mean to you? The meaning of my name, Lulama, means reconciliation, to make peace again. I am starting to embrace that perhaps behind my name that means reconciliation and peace. This is my mission try to give the opportunity to these girls to embrace themselves, embrace who they are, where they come from, and what they can achieve. Greenhouse is giving role models to kids that without us, probably they wouldn't see much bright future in front of them. You know, the work that Greenhouse has been doing the last 20 years, it's huge it's amazing it's a a huge honor for me to be part of it this opportunity it goes like way beyond every achievement that i ever achieved it's a life-changing experience but not just for them for me (laughs) yeah it's it's amazing it's huge it's the best thing i could ever do honestly Thank you for listening to this episode of My Playbook with Lulama Musti de Gennaro. As I mentioned at the start, 2022 is Greenhouse Sports' 20th anniversary. Please do check out the incredible work they do by visiting greenhousesports.org. And if you'd like to get involved and help, please do get in touch. All the details are on their website. And please do share, rate and review this episode wherever you can. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.